0: Baptist Church.
1: Once, I was afraid of my future. I was paralyzed in my search for relevance in this world. I wanted my life to have meaning. And so I searched for it in my job, in my relationships, in my education. Even when I got into graduate school, I thought maybe making an awesome scientific discovery would give my life meaning. But I'm still looking for a cure for Ebola. Nothing I tried seemed to be enough. Then Jesus found me and told me that I did not need to worry about my future, that he was all I needed, so I did not need to work so hard to be relevant. He reminded me that I am relevant because he died for me, and nothing I do or don't do can make that less true. Today, I continually remind myself of this truth. He knows every step before I make it. And I can rest knowing that whatever his plan for my future is, is the best plan because it is his plan. My name is Esther Johnson II and I am new. Ndipo wale ulio mcha m buana wakasemizana, kwa wao nae buana akasikiliza, nae akasikia kitabu cha kumbukumbu kikaandikwa mbele yake kuhusu wale ambao wale mcha bwana na kuliheshimu jina lake nao watakuwa watu wangu asema bwana mwenye nguvu katika siku ile wafanya watu kuwa hazina yangu nitawahurumia kama vile kwa huruma mtu amhurumiavyo mwanaye anayamtumikia. kwa mara nyingine tena utaona tofauti kati ya wenye haki na waovu this is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks, Duster. So we are in the series called "Extraordinary," where we established seven weeks ago that all of us want to be extraordinary. We all want to live extraordinary lives. Nobody wants the ordinary. Nobody wants just, you know, hokum existence. And we've been walking through the book of Nehemiah learning the things that it takes for someone to be extraordinary. It's right for us to want to be extraordinary because God's wired us that way. He's wired us to want more. He's wired us to want more than this life ordinarily has to offer. In fact, that's why Jesus came, that's why Jesus died, so that we could step into this abundant life, this more is better life, this extraordinary life. And so it's right for us to desire it. And seven weeks ago, everybody, almost everybody in the room stood up and said, yes, I want to be extraordinary. And so, over these last weeks, we've been talking about some things that we can do to step into it because it's in order to be extraordinary, in order to live the extraordinary life, you have to, there has to be more than want to. There has to be more than the fact that Jesus died so that we could have it. We have to actually take some steps to step into it. So, this morning. We're going to look at Nehemiah chapters 11 and 12. If you want to turn there. And if you scan if you scan these two chapters, essentially all you see are names. In chapter 11, you see all the Jews that came to live in Jerusalem. In chapter 12, you see the priests and the Levites who left Persia. It's really nothing but names from 11:4 through 12:26. So what's significant about them? Why did God put them in the book? We've talked several times about this, that, that you know, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 that all Scripture is, is God-breathed and is profitable for, for correcting and teaching and rebuking and training in righteousness. And so if all Scripture is profitable and this is in the Scripture, then these names must be profitable, Right? So what's the point? You come to this list or any of the other lists in the Bible, and you say, what's the point? Well, the point of this list is that these are the faithful few who God calls to go back to Jerusalem to repopulate the city. We've talked about this for the last couple of weeks. Nehemiah was more... He was more concerned than just rebuilding a wall in Jerusalem. He had a a bigger goal. His goal was to rebuild a people. His goal was to rebuild a people who would represent God. And what we see in Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 4 is it says that though the wall had been uh, rebuilt, there were very few people living in the city. And that was a disgrace to God, that was a reproach to his glory. And so this now is a call to go back and repopulate the city so that the glory of God can be represented from them. So in verse 1 of Nehemiah 11, it says this. Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their towns. You see, nobody really wanted to live in Jerusalem in 450 B.C. The leaders had to live there. It was kind of like Washington, D.C. Jerusalem was the capital, and as our congressmen, you know, have to go live there at least for part of the year, the same thing was true with Jerusalem. The leaders had to go there. But nobody else wanted to go there. And, And let me tell you why. There were three chief reasons why people didn't want to live in Jerusalem. One was success. The wall of the city had been rebuilt, but the infrastructure was still in shambles. And so there wasn't a lot of commerce going on there. There wasn't a lot of opportunity there. And so if you wanted to be a a success financially, if you wanted to have an occupation where you could really make a living and do well for yourself, Jerusalem was not where you wanted to be. It didn't offer that kind of opportunity. The second reason people didn't want to go back there was for security and comfort reasons. Yeah, the wall had been rebuilt... But because the population was small, there wasn't really an armed force. It didn't provide the security or the amenities that other large cities provided. So if you you were concerned about your security or the comfort of your family, you didn't want to go to Jerusalem. And the third reason people didn't want to go to Jerusalem was for self-interest. You might recall that at the end of the book of Joshua, they, they allotted the land to all of the different tribes. So, um, you know, every, every tribe got a chunk of land of the, of the promised land of Canaan. And then they, they subdivided those tribal territories into land or allotments for each of the families. Well, Jerusalem was nobody's. Jerusalem was God's city. And so, you didn't want to go to Jerusalem because if you wanted land to pass down to your kids, if you were in Jerusalem, that wasn't your land. That was God's land. You had nothing as an inheritance for your family. So it, that really didn't have anything to do with the fact that the city was just being rebuilt. It just had to do with the fact that it was God's city and it wasn't yours. It was his land, not yours. So for those three reasons, people didn't want to go back to Jerusalem. You didn't pack up your, your family and move back if you wanted, if you wanted success If you wanted to have security and comfort, and if you had self interest, Jerusalem was not for you. The only reason people would go to Jerusalem was because they've been called to, for the sake of the call. So, what the people did, verse 1, is they essentially tithed themselves. In, in the previous chapter, they, they tithed of their income. Here they cast lots to decide which one out of ten families is going to go back to Jerusalem. They, they gave it a tithe of themselves. It says in verse 2, The people commended all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. You see, there were some who volunteered to sacrifice for the glory of God and were commended, and they should have been commended. Because they were, going, they were choosing to live in a place not in order to please themselves, but to be useful to God. As a brief aside, I wonder how many of us have chosen to live in a particular place so that you could be useful for God. And it had nothing to do with self-interest. How many of you have chosen to be in New York City because God called you here and for no other reason? Or how many of you have chosen not to leave New York even though God has called you because you so love this city? See, the question we need to wrestle with is where has God called us to be? And am I going to be faithful to his call? What we see here is that some were essentially drafted and some were volunteered. But either way, there was a faithful few who laid down their lives for the sake of the call. And, and these are the names we have in verses 4 and following, all the way through 1226. Would you like me to read them to you? <laughs> That would get really ugly, and you guys are, come on, move it on. If I went through all of these names, if I struggled through all of these names, you would you would start just kind of it 's kind of like watching the credits you know at a movie, you just kind of where 's the outtakes you know you, the names are faceless, but they 're not meaningless reading the names of these chapters is kind of like going to the vietnam memorial in washington dc and looking at that black wall that just has name after name after name etched into it it's kind of like going to the uss arizona in pearl harbor harbor and looking at that white wall that just has name after name after name you may not know any of the names on there but you still stand in front of those walls with reverence because you know that those men and women gave their lives for the sake of the call, that we enjoy freedoms in this country and we enjoy blessings in this country, and those things did not come cheap. They came at the cost of these men and women and their their blood. You see, they gave it all for the sake of the call. And friends, that's why God freezes in history the lists of Nehemiah 11 and 12. And the beauty of these lists is the anonymity. We have no clue who these people are in these chapters. And in fact, a generation later in Israel, they probably wouldn't have any clue as to who these folks are. But what we do know is that these are the people who abandoned it all for the sake of the call. And what we need to learn from this is that it is not prominence that makes someone extraordinary. It is not celebrity that makes someone extraordinary. What makes someone extraordinary in the eyes of God is faithfulness to the call. Incidentally, you may have noticed as we've gone through this book that there are a lot of lists in here. Chapter 3 is essentially 50 names of people who helped rebuild the wall, and that's, that's about all we know about them. But God said, write them down. Chapter 7 is a list of the heads of the families who come back after the exile, and that's all we know about them. But God said, write them down. Chapter 10 is a list of the men who stood up and signed on the dotted line the, the obedience contract where they said, the sin stops with us. We're going all in with obedience. And God said, write them down. And you come to chapters 11 and 12. And these lists of men and women who willingly left everything to go to a city that was not the city of their fathers simply because they wanted to represent God. They wanted to glorify Him. They abandoned it all for the sake of the call. And God said, write them down. As you may have noticed as we've gone through this book, roughly 30% of the content of Nehemiah is nothing but names, and they may be faceless, but they are not meaningless. Let me read to you the verses from Malachi that Esther read to us a few minutes ago. Anybody know what language that was? Swahili, just FYI. Anybody else speak Swahili? Okay. Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. Did you hear that? What was written down? A scroll of remembrance. Why would God write down a scroll of remembrance? Does he forget? God has him write a scroll of remembrance not for him but for us so that we know that he knows who's being faithful to the call. Malachi goes on, They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. See, God writes them down, not so that he will remember, but so that we will remember. And we will see the distinction between who is righteous and who is not, who is faithful and who is not. Do you see why this text... In Nehemiah 11 and 12 is here. Do you see why all the lists are here? It's so that we will see that God remembers who is faithful. God remembers who lays it all down for the sake of the call. Here's a question. Has God changed between 450 B.C. and today? It's not a hard question. No, he hasn't. Has God's call changed since 450 B.C. and today? No. Maybe the particulars are a little different, but the call is still the same. Romans 12.1 says that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. That's always the call to be faithful to to Him, to to lay it all down for Him. That was the call in 450 B.C. That's the call today. The question that we need to ask this morning is, how many of us will be extraordinary and lay our lives down for the sake of the call? I would... um, I would venture to say that it's relatively few of us, and the reason it is so few is for the same reasons that the Jews didn't want to go to Jerusalem. Think about it. First, the Jews didn't want to go to Jerusalem because there was no real opportunity for financial success, and I would contend that like those Jews, when faced with the choice of of success and financial well-being or forsaking at all, in order to follow Christ, that most of us will choose the former because we see things from such a worldly perspective and we are more concerned about laying up treasures on earth than in heaven. You say, well, I don't know about that, Keith. Well, let me um, run a scenario past you. Let's say that that. God has called you to serve this community of faith in some very specific ways. You know that he's called you to, um, to help lead um, a Bible study on Tuesday nights. And you know that he's called you to help welcome people coming in the door on Sunday mornings. Those are the, You just know that. God's called me to do these things. Okay? But then... Then dollars are kind of tight, but then this opportunity comes up for you to make a few extra bucks by flipping burgers down at Mickey D's. The only rub is you got to do it on Tuesday nights and Sunday mornings. Would you do it? No! (laughs) No way, Keith, that's a no-brainer. I'm not going to sacrifice what God has called me to so that I can flip burgers down at McDonald's. Okay. What if God has called you very specifically to help lead this Bible study on Tuesday nights and help greet people coming in the doors on Sunday mornings, but then this unique opportunity arises in your workspace where you can make seven grand a week for the next two years? The only rub is you got to work Tuesday nights and Sunday mornings. Makes it a little more difficult, right? But should it? See, the call's the same. The question is, can your commitment be bought? That's the question. Can your commitment be bought? And if it can, then I guarantee you at some point it will be. And... It probably already has. See, we, success, financial security is really important to us. That's the first reason people don't go all in. Second reason the Jews didn't want to go back to Jerusalem was for security and comfort reasons. I would contend that like the Jews, when faced with the choice of having a sense of temporal security and comfort as opposed to the relative insecurity that comes with laying it all down to follow Christ, most of us would choose the former because as human beings, we have this innate desire, even need, to be secure. But see, God has wired us so that even though we need that, The only place we're ultimately going to find security is in Him. But it often doesn't feel that way. And so we look for security in other things. We look for comfort in other things when the truth is, following Jesus often feels insecure. Following Jesus is often uncomfortable. The third reason the Jews didn't want to go back was because it wasn't their city, it wasn't their land. Thus, it didn't satisfy their self-interest. And the same is true for us. We want our life to be ours, not God's. We want control. We We want to call the shots. In essence, we want to be God. We want to be Christian as long as God will not upset our world. All right? Listen to what Paul wrote to the Philippians. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proven himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. You see what Paul's saying about Timothy? He said, I've got nobody else like him i got nobody else who has genuine concern for you because everybody else is too busy looking out for their own interests. Can I get real um, candid with you for a few minutes? This is going to be real uncomfortable, okay? I'll just tell you that right now. It's going to be real uncomfortable. About a month ago at our annual meeting... um, which you were all invited to, but about 80 of us came. There were about 80 members there. And we were kind of vision casting and we were talking about some things coming down the line. And I made a few challenges to that group of people. And one of the challenges has to do with the fact that we got all these empty seats in here. And this is a good church. I, I, this is a great church. I mean, we got great music. We got, you know, phenomenal preaching. Um, <laughs> we we got we got great programs. We got all kinds of great stuff going on. This is a great church. But what we've come to understand over the last eighteen months to two years is that one of the reasons why people don't stay, and we have a lot of visitors who come through here. But one of the reasons why people don't stay is because. Significant relationships has been one of our core values, and, and so people make these significant relationships, and we get in these little groups of three, four, six people, and then we, we click up. And so new folks coming in, while they experience some you know, the presence of God and, and great worship and all, and all that stuff, it's hard to get in relationally, and so they leave. And so my challenge to the membership at our annual meeting a month ago was every time you walk in the doors of this church, see it as an opportunity to have a meaningful relationship with someone you don't know. Because if you'll do that, now maybe you'll, you know, you'll meet somebody who's been here 18 years. Well, that's great. But over time, you're going to start meeting new people. And if you're having truly meaningful conversations that go beyond the meet and greet that we did earlier where, you know, I said hi to Olga and I had to have Olga remind me of her name because I met her months ago, but I couldn't remember. You know? Rather than just saying hi and and then forgetting, we ought to have conversations that, that... go down in the coffee hour and then, hey, why don't we go to lunch and follow this up? Why don't we, so that the relationships begin to expand and the meaningfulness of community begins to grow. Friends, that's what it means to have um, sincere concern for others because of the cause of Christ and not be in my little self-interest group, which is where most of us live. If it doesn't scratch my itch, I'm not interested. A guy by the name of Wilbur Reese a number of years ago ago, wrote this poignant little piece called $3 Worth of God. And though we are loath to admit this, I think it illustrates how most of us live, Reese wrote these words, I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a warm cup of milk or snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy... $3 worth of God, please. Isn't that us? I want $3 worth of God. I want to be a Jew, just not to the extent of going back to Jerusalem, because if I go back to Jerusalem, I've got no inheritance to give away, it's not very safe, and I've got no opportunity to succeed. I want to be a Christian. But not to the extent that I really become a follower of Jesus. Not to the extent that I, I, you know, lower my standard of living or or I I change my prejudices or or I have to, to give up things that are in my best interest. Friends, that is the erroneous notion that God is there to serve rather than to be served. That is the erroneous notion that God is there only for us to call upon rather than the one who does the calling. That's not Christianity, and that's not the truth. So what does it take to respond to the call? What did Jesus say to the disciples in Luke chapter 9? Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he says, If anyone would come after me, he must fulfill himself, take up his cross when it's convenient, and follow me when we happen to be going in the same direction. That's how we read it. That's not what it says. He must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Period. For whoever wants to save his own life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of him when I come into my glory. See, Jesus strips away success. He strips away uh, security. He strips away self-interest. And he says, that's what it costs to follow me. And that's what it takes to be extraordinary. Extraordinary. And then he adds, don't be ashamed of me. I wonder how many of us are eager to go public with our faith. How many of us are eager to share the fact that we follow Jesus even when we know it could cost us? Friends, Jesus went so public with you, for you, Jesus hung on a cross for six hours, not in some obscure place, but at the Damascus Gate. It was like hanging in Times Square for six hours, and he did that because of you. And yet, how many of us are afraid to go public for him? The reason the majority of the Jews didn't want to go back to Jerusalem are the same reasons we use today for not absolutely following the Savior. And at the end of the day, we end up living ordinary lives. But there are a few who respond. Does God know them? You bet he does. He's got a scroll of remembrance. I love this text from Romans 16. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. Greet Amphilius, my, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. They're twins, by the way. Um, I don't know. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, these women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friends Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother who has also been a mother to me. Who are these people? Who knows? Who cares? God knows. And God cares. And Paul loved them. Because these are folks who laid it all down for the sake of the call. Does God remember? You bet he does. And he's got this scroll of remembrance, and they're all there. Can I ask you a very penetrating question? How famous are you in heaven? How famous are you in heaven? Do you think it's possible to be famous in heaven? Gabriel came to Daniel and said, Daniel, you are highly regarded, and your prayers have been heard. Daniel was famous in heaven. Gabriel came to Mary and said, Mary, you are highly favored. Mary was famous in heaven. How famous are you in heaven? If Gabriel came to you today and greeted you today, how would he greet you? Is your name on the scroll? Is your name on the scroll of remembrance as one of God's faithful few who responded to the call? What a terrible thing for us to have saved our lives here for the sake of success or security or self-interest only to miss out on the glory to come, to be able to stand one day and hear the words from the only opinion that will reign for eternity, well done, good and faithful servant. Are we taking risks For the cause of Christ. We all love the idea of being extraordinary. But are there significant changes in your life today from seven weeks ago when we all stood up and we all said, I want to be extraordinary? Are you different today than you were seven weeks ago? because of decisions you've made to say, I'm getting out of the ordinary and I'm stepping into the extraordinary and here's what God's calling me to and I'm going for it. Are you different today because of choices you've made? Are you just paying lip service to this whole idea of extraordinary? Too often we we say, oh yeah, I want to be that, but then we don't... Follow the call because we're more concerned with success and security and self-interest. Is this list in Nehemiah 11 and 12 important? You bet it is. These are the extraordinary people who abandoned it all for the sake of the call. And the question for us this morning is, will I and will you? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your life not just so that we could spend eternity with you, and that is no small thing, but you gave your life so that we might step into the extraordinary in the here and now. And I pray, Lord, that today each one of us would make a decision make the determination that we are going to be that, that junction between heaven and earth, that, we, that we're going to be that place where heaven comes here. And we're going to step into the extraordinary that you've wired us for and that you've called us to. And we're not going to settle for anything less. Lord, help us. Help us. Not just want it, but to want it so much that we will do what it takes to get there. For your name's sake, amen.